I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Well, I think we've decanted for long enough. It's time to sit back and enjoy Two Sharp Reds with Mark Schwarzer and Ollie Geel. Yes, it certainly is. But I've got to say right at the start, we've had a bit of a nightmare, haven't we, Mark, before we get stuck into a bottle of red wine here on the Two Sharp Reds, where we do like to compare it to player past or present. We have a lot that we need to, dis- uh, to talk about in the world of football. But we have had sort of, I think, for the first time, in what's felt like maybe eight months, our first technical glitch uh, at the start of the Two Sharp Reds. Yeah, we did. Um, interesting, wasn't it? it? Like It was bewildering, I have to say. I had no idea what the hell was going on. All of a sudden, music started coming through my my, my headphones, and I'm like, can you hear that? And you're like, no. So I'm on this I'm on my Mac at home, yeah. a desktop Mac, looking through everything, trying to find iTunes, you know, everything possible, and there's nothing. And I'm going, it can't be possible anyway. Spotify is on down at the bottom of the, the, the pop-up screen and it's my daughter's account. So she's obviously away in Nottingham playing it in her room and I've seen it as I opened up and it's her account. I've stopped it and I'm thinking she's going to play, play in a minute. So I had to log her out and we're back again. So we're sorted. Just uh, one thing I would say, she probably needs to work on her music taste. Yeah, no, I was that's... a bit surprised. That's also what threw me because yeah. that's, uh, it was an interesting choice of music. Yeah, yeah. I think it was, um, I'm trying to think what it was, but it was... Uh, yeah, not a two sharp reds type song. Let's uh, no, yeah, we'll leave it at but that. But then, mind you, you know, I did hear um, a bit of karaoke being played over the weekend, and uh, yeah, um, it was interesting. What uh, my my karaoke somewhere, somewhere in Bermuda, somewhere. Yes, I in was the... in the middle of the Bermuda Triangle, and I was singing uh, the Beach Boys' "Kokomo." Uh, yeah. I also did uh, Kylie Minogue's "Locomotion." Oh, it was brilliant. Um, just, a, just a note to uh, everyone back home. But, yeah, that's what I've been doing. So, oh, um, Throwing some shapes as well on the dance floor on the boat. And, and, and I was worried for you, you know, because I thought, oh, geez, you've got such a bad knee. Yep. One little slight slip and you could have been in agony on the floor. Well, in the water, not on the floor. Yeah. Yeah, on the floor of the boat and then in the water. Yeah, yeah absolutely. So, look, now, before we get stuck in to... Uh, the episode and we've got lots to talk about uh, in the world of football we do need to talk about the wine that we'll be trying here on the two sharp reds this week i've gone for a german pinot uh, a bit of a celebration wow. to your people it's the blutengarten uh wow. do you know would that be a word like does that mean anything do you think blumengarten yeah flower garden okay garden flower, flower. Oh, checks out to me a nice medium bodied red uh, made from the, the uh, grapes from the, the Pluffs, the Pluffs region. Am I saying that right? The Pluffs? Uh, P-F-A-L-Z. How would I say that? Pluffs. Ah, Pluffs. Yeah, you know where that is. That's actually around where I was playing, actually, in Kaiserslautern. Uh, Rhineland Pluffs. Yeah. Yeah. Nice area of the world. Yeah, it's beautiful. Yeah, it really is nice. Yeah. And there's a lot of winemaking going on around there as well. Uh, Interesting. Particularly back then. And so in the summer, uh, or spring, summer, 
uh, or maybe it was towards the end of it. Maybe it was, yeah, I think it was probably towards the end of it. They would have all their home, their, their own wine yeah. uh, that they were producing. They'd also would be selling it on the side of the road. Brilliant. So it was How really cool. That? Like driving through, there was all these little pop-up uh, little roadside sort of stops where people could go and just buy local produce, which was really cool. Doesn't get much better than that. No. Uh, so that's the one that I'm trying today. Very much looking forward to getting stuck into that. What have you gone for, Mark? Well, I mean, you'd be very pleased well, to hear. I've gone you've got for a smile a ha- on your face here. <laughs> I've gone for a Hardy's Bankside oh. uh, Shiraz 2015. Oh, yeah. A Tom Hardy. Yeah. yeah, nice. Yeah. So very, very cool. Any, um, any reason for that? Was there, was there a reason that you wanted to? Oh, it's just literally the first one on the shelf. I just thought, oh, you know sure. oh, go that one. You know, give that one a, a, a try. Um, You're a connoisseur, yeah. aren't you? <laughs> yeah, Bankside was the first homestead purchase purchased by Thomas Hardy. Our founder was by, uh, was by the River Torrens in Adelaide is where mm. the story began. Okay, Mark. So let's start in the world of the Premier League. Then we'll have our halftime drinks, talk a bit of wine, and then I want to talk European football. So let's take our time here. Fulham. They got another win. They are now mm-hmm. three points from Newcastle. Things are looking up for your boys. Um, yeah. Yeah. Listen, I, they, they picked up seven points in the week from a possible nine, which pretty good. I mean, listen, that, that, that's, that's very, very good for anyone. Right. And I, and, and, and I'm, I'm just a little bit disappointed. I didn't think they played particularly well away at Burnley. And I think that game was there to be taken, but at Burnley have shown many, many teams are really tough to, to break down, really difficult to play against. And Burnley do really well to nullify the opposition. So, yeah, off the back of the Burnley result, I was kind of like, Phew. so now the pressure is so much on. They have to win against Sheffield United, and they did. So, yeah, massive, massive score, massive result. They've got Palace next, which mm-hmm. is a game. It is a must-win for Fulham. They have to win it because after that, they've got Liverpool away, Manchester City at home, Leeds United away, Aston Villa away, Wolves at home, Arsenal away, Chelsea away. Yeah, they're not going to get. Yeah, they're going to struggle so, to get seven out of nine points there, aren't they? Because well, that, that I mean, seven out of nine. There's like, well, what did I say to you? I just told you there. No, you I, know I what? I missed one. <laughs> there's Fulham. Top, sorry, I missed one. Fulham, Tottenham, huh? Liverpool, Fulham, Fulham, Man City. That's their next three games, and okay, after so that, they've got Leeds United at home, Villa away, Wolves at home. Arsenal away, which is not so bad. And then they've got Chelsea away. So, I, I mean, Villa, Villa are a good side. Villa, are, yeah. I mean, they missed Jack Release the other day, uh, but they're a good side. Leeds United can beat anyone. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're going to be open, but they're, they're gonna, they can beat anyone. Man City, I can't see Fulham having a chance. Liverpool, okay, Liverpool have been poor. Yeah, maybe, but I doubt it. I doubt it. I see Fulham, Liverpool's going to win that. Tottenham, Fulham might be looking at Tottenham right now and going, you know what? Maybe, but then that's two weeks away. Um, so they've got a really, really tough run of fixtures coming up. Then after that, though, that's their chance. They've got to get through those run of games without having too much of a dent in confidence because then they've got Burnley at home, Southampton away, Manchester United away, okay, which is a tough one, and then they've got Newcastle at home last game of the season. So they've got to beat. They've got to beat Palace. If they beat Palace next game, they're on twenty-five points, equal in Newcastle. Obviously, depending on what Newcastle do in the next game. 
And they've got that really tricky run of fixtures where I mentioned all those teams. Uh, the last four, three out of the last four, they're probably going to have to win. And that means three out of the last four, they've got to get nine points, which potentially, if they, if they don't get a point in that really tough run of fixtures against your likes of Leeds United, Aston Villa, Wolves, and then obviously Man City and, and Chelsea and Arsenal, all that. I mean, nine points on, from 25, so that's 34 points. It may be enough, and it may actually not even be enough. And then you've got to obviously focus on your own. You know, that I'm sure has always been the message when you're in the inner camp. But you must be looking at, say, Newcastle, who are ahead of them. Their runner fixtures, on the other hand, they've got Wolverhampton, West Brom, Villa, Brighton, Burnley, Tottenham. You know, so there's some, some winnable games nestled there as well so you'd be worried about that because sometimes in this situation i'm sure you you would agree that you know you focus and try and get your points wherever but sometimes if there's just that one person in front of you there's not much you can do about it yeah they've got really similar runs actually um you know they've got leicester in there arsenal liverpool man city uh but you know the thing is newcastle again it could well come down to the last two games of the seasons for them they've got sheffield united at home and they've got uh, fulham away so by that stage, it could well be those two last games for both Fulham and Newcastle. But from a positive perspective, pretty good from Fulham. Uh, Lookman with their goal on the weekend to get them that 1-0 victory. Have you seen a change? I mean, clearly, you know, they're, they're picking points up, but has there been a noticeable change of direction? Has it been effort? Has there been something tactically? Or has it just been doing the right thing at the right time? I think, I think they've just been able to find a bit, a bit better of a rhythm and they've been able to maintain a certain level of performance for longer. So early on in the season, we saw glimpses. They would, they would be in and games for, for, they'd have a really good moment in games for 10, 15 minutes, 20 minutes, um, and then kind of have very little in product. Um, and then and it's just, yeah, it's just, it's, it was really frustrating. So now they just seem to be playing for a longer period of times, more consistently and better. I mean, the, the great example is that Everton game away. You know, the first half, they were dominating. They were, they were positive. They were really good. They looked really good. They played really well. They put Everton on a lot of pressure, had a lot of possession, um, had a couple of chances, didn't, didn't take them. And then there was always that question of, well, how are they going to go second half? Are they just going to drop off now? Are they going to be punished? They didn't. They went up to another level again, and they took their chances. So I think overall, there's been a marked improvement in their overall performance and their ability to maintain a certain level of performance. Um, and, and I've always said it, whenever you're down there, you can put a run of three, four games together. The problem with Fulham is they need more than a run of three or four games. So they've had in the last four games, they've won two, uh, won two and drawn two. The problem is they've got to go on a, another couple of mini runs between now and the end of the season. So they've got to win, if you think about it. I mean, they're on 22 points with 13 games to go. Tough to do, very tough to do. But hey, Mark, if you go across the other side of London, there's another team who's putting together quite a few good games in a row, West Ham United. Now, I remember specifically where we were pre-season doing the two sharp reds and we you know, make our bold predictions. And I distinctly remember that we said Moyes was going to be the first manager to get the sack and West Ham would be relegated. Whether or not they'd finish bottom, up for discussion, but they were looking like they could have been relegated. I can't believe. I don't think I ever at. said West Ham. I don't think I ever said West Ham would be relegated. I think you may have. I definitely because I always did. said that I believe. I said actually Aston Villa would be down there. 
Yes. At the beginning of the season. 100%. And I did say, I did say West Brom and I said Fulham. So I actually said West Brom, Fulham and Aston Villa were going to okay. go down. That's who I said. Well, that's a pass in um, anyone's exam, I suppose. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, 66% if, it's, if it ends up being Fulham and yeah. West Brom going down. Um, I knew Sheffield. I, I, th- I thought Sheffield United would, would have certainly a, a, a really tough season. Nowhere near as tough as what they've had. I didn't think it'd be that bad. Um, but yeah, I just knew it'd be tough. Second, second season syndrome is really tough. You know, you're no longer uh, the surprise package. You're no longer uh, a side that obviously has just come up. It's about now backing up the previous season's performance and, and the expectations, a level of performance, level of expectation. Now you've got to try and match it at the bare minimum. And Sheffield and I were, were always up against it and, 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 and have never got back to that level again. Mm. So then... West Ham with a surprise packet. They are on fire. 2-1 win over Tottenham Hotspur. So I'm sure, I'm sure there's sort of two angles that we can take on this. But let's take the positive first. With West Ham, United. Jesse Lingard's the man we need to be talking about now. I think it's his third game, second or third game uh, for the Hammers. Couple of goals and some really, really just solid performances, even when he's not, you know, contributed assists or goals-wise. He's been, he's been really good. <laughs> Listen, like like you said about start of the season predictions, uh, uh, you know, with with David Moyes, West Ham. If if I were to had to have said to you back then, twenty five games in, they're going to be fourth. You would have just quite, you would have said I would have been absolutely mad. And then let alone add to the fact, even in January, to say, can you believe West Ham have gone and signed Jesse Lingard? How's that going to go? And it, it's actually phenomenal how it's worked. Um, and it's great, you know, fair dues to Jess Lingard because he's been on the outer. He's copped a lot of stick about his performances. He's struggled with, with injuries throughout the course of the season. Um, and he's rolled his sleeves up and he's been very, very good. And he's worked his socks off and West Ham. I mean, I'm still waiting for West Ham to fall away and no one would blame them if they fell away. You know, no one would say West Ham, well, you know, they've had a shocker. No, I mean, what they've done... 45 points after 25 games is remarkable at this stage of the season. And I, the, the biggest disappointment for West Ham will be if they don't kick on from here because you kind of go, if you get yourself in such a good position with only 15, uh, 13 games to go, you've mm. got to get, you know, you've got to finish in that sort of top seven and eight positions, minimum, bare minimum. And they're more than capable of doing so, I have to say. Uh, do you think uh, Lingard will stay? I think if his form continues, why would he want to go back to Man United where something isn't working for him, clearly? I think, I think if West Ham finish in a European place, I think there's every chance Jesse Lingard will stay. If they drop out of it, I'm not, I'm not quite sure. I possibly think he, he won't. Okay. And, and what's my logic behind that? Um, that he, I don't know, he'll feel that his, his impact, I suppose his impact so far has been very, very positive. If his impact continues to be positive, then there's every chance West Ham could finish in those European places. If he drops off and West Ham drop off, obviously that's not going to happen. So uh, even then, if they finish a the European place, there may be another club, a, a slightly bigger club, more established club in terms of European um, mm. uh, adventures each year. Then maybe he'd end up looking to go elsewhere. But... I think the fit is perfect for him at the moment. 
So obviously he's one name that's come in to the side uh, recently as well. But when you look across the board, I think the biggest thing in particular that we need to probably take our hats off and certainly, you know, based off uh, our predictions at the start of the season, you know, I tell you what, David Moyes, well done. You have improved this squad. Like everyone seemed a little bit like with Dean Smith and Villa. It's like, yep, okay, you've got a Jack Grealish, you've got a Watkins, that's great. But everyone else seems better. Whatever it is, is it intensity? Is it smarts on the pitch itself? But you watch West Ham and you go, uh, there's a noticeable change here and it's really exciting. I think what's been key is pretty much every one of his signings from this last season has been effective Mm. and have played a big part in West Ham turning their fortunes around. Craig Dawson's been a real rock for them at back, at centre-half, sorry. Um, Kufal has been, been exceptional for them. Uh, Jesse Lingard, like, as we've mentioned, has, has been flying. Thomas Suchak has been arguably one of the signings of the season, I have to say. Yeah. Um, you know, earlier in the season was Diego Jota without a, without a shadow of a doubt, but obviously he hasn't played for a number of months now. So he has to surely he falls out of that equation right now, unless he comes back and, and turns Liverpool's fortunes around almost single-handedly. I'm not mm. quite sure where he is with his injury, but um, yeah. Thomas Suchek's been been exceptional. I mean, the only one that probably hasn't quite, you know, sort of really hit the ground running is um, Ben Rama is the one that probably um, has kind of been in and out and tried to, you know, he's, he's, I think he's struggled to, to, to really have an impact. So then looking back uh, to that game of the weekend after their 2-1 win over Tottenham, I now just sort of stroke the rim of my Arsenal bucket hat uh, as we sink our teeth into the other side of things, uh, this is the worst run Jose Mourinho has been on in the Premier League with any of his three clubs, uh, whether it be Chelsea, Man United or Tottenham. Um, it's been a bizarre twist because it feels like, and maybe I'm simplifying things, but it felt like maybe six weeks ago, sky was the limit. You know, things were clicking. Who knows? And then it, it's funny, isn't it, Mark, how in football, certainly, but in Premier League in particular, it shows how quickly things can change. Yep, certainly can, mate. Um, and and you know, the worrying thing about for West Ham, uh, sorry, for um, Tottenham is that they don't really have any injuries. No. So it's not like no. Harry Kane's out. I mean, obviously, he did miss a couple of games and, and they did suffer without having him, but he's back. I mean, you could argue it and say, well, he's not 100% fit. Well, then he shouldn't be playing, but he's back. Um, they've got pretty much a full-strength side. And, and that, that is even probably more worrying and concerning for, for Spurs fans and for Jose Mourinho is that as, as, as he's kind of almost his number, so his first 11, they're struggling to have an impact. At Tottenham, Tim Sherwood's win rate, what do you reckon it was? Yeah. Yeah, it's high. It's something like 60-something percent. Well, just 59. So 59, it's 59%. Yeah. Pochettino was 56. Yeah. And Jose is 49, is that right? 46. 46, yeah. So you'd now... I, I think when you compare it to Pochettino, that's interesting. But the fact that Tim Sherwood had a win rate of 59%, that, you're thinking, wow. That surprises me, actually. I, I didn't think that Tim Sherwood had that higher win, uh, win percentage at Spurs. I, I, really, I really didn't think it was that high. Pochettino, yeah, there's a, there's a different argument with that. I mean, you know, a time when so many players were flying. And, I mean, listen, Pochettino is a big reason why so many of those players were flying at the time. But he had a longer period of time to work with them, more games. Yeah, so clearly things are not quite right. 
um, for Spurs and, and for Jose Mourinho. And only time will tell how long it'll be put up with. Do you think he's at the top of the list in terms of the next manager to go? Because we've seen, obviously, West Brom have made their move in their bid to get the bounce back. Sheffield United, you'd be surprised. Fulham, probably not. Possibly Newcastle. Uh, you, you never know. But when you think about everyone else, it all feels, you know, you, you know Palace, Southampton, Leeds, Wolves, Arsenal, I'm sure, are all pretty happy with their managers. Even though they're not where they would be desired to be. I think we can all assume that most of those, all those managers will probably be there by the end of the season. Tottenham in ninth, I'm starting to think maybe he must be at the top of the list. Um, yeah, listen, I, I think, you know, the, the, one of the issues you have is that obviously we're in very different circumstances at the moment of the pandemic. Um, clubs are probably a little bit more reluctant to make any changes. You look across the board in the Premier League, there hasn't been a lot of changes. In years gone by, we've had, I think we've seen far more changes uh, when, when clubs have gone on for, for you know, for, for worse runs, long runs where they haven't, haven't won games. Um, there there's seems to be more of a tendency to, to actually retain a manager and give them more opportunity to, to, to get things right. Um, November 2019 is when he arrived at Tottenham Hotspurs. So, you know, well, he's over two years now. So he's had three transfer windows at a time of a pandemic, pretty much. So November 19, March, the pandemic hit. Finances all changed for everyone. And then it's no different to, to a lot of other teams. The, 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 I suppose the question is, how have they dealt with it? Who have they brought in? I mean, the bail, the bail one has turned out to be, a, let's be honest, it's, I don't want to say it's a failure, but it's not far off it. Um, unless something dramatically changes. And one would maybe argue and say, well, it's a failure because he wasn't given enough opportunities and there may be a valid case to be brought forward for that. However, he did turn up injured. He did take a long time to get fit again. And obviously, Jose Mourinho is in the best place to be able to judge whether or not that he feels he's fit enough, capable enough to play more games from 90 minutes. And he'll see his application. He'll, 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 he'll be able to work. He works with him every day. He's able to see and feel his application every day to see whether or not he believes he's ready for it and willing to. So then the fear is then for, for not so much for Tottenham fans, but let's say for, for Jose, if he gets the sack, where does that leave his reputation in English football? Because it's starting to go from being phenomenal to there being well, a, some well, serious I... black marks on it. I think there's always been, there's been questions over the last couple of years, hasn't there? You know, he's, the way he left Chelsea the second time, the way he left Manchester United in terms of players and unrest and disagreements with people and then coming out publicly and, and, and talking about performances of players, criticising players. At Spurs, it's been a little bit, not nowhere near as, as much as it was, say, for example, at Chelsea or at Manchester United. Um, it you know, of course it would be a setback for him. There's no doubt about it whatsoever. But one thing's for sure is Jose Mourinho is a very confident man in his own ability. And he can be very convincing as well. Sure. But ultimately you are judged by performances. You are judged by results on the football pitch. And I, I just read something about Jose Mourinho saying that we do have problems at the club, but some of those problems I can't sort out myself. So he's referring to 
I believe my interpretation of that is off field issues and whether that has to do with financial problems at the club, the pandemic has certainly, you know, has had a taken a toll on everybody, not, not just the smaller clubs. It's also the bigger clubs, obviously the bigger clubs in a far better position. Generally you would hope so, but it certainly has affected everyone. And it's going to be some years, I believe, until the transfer window or the transfer dealings get back to anywhere near the likes of what it was in the past because clubs have been so heavily affected. Okay, lastly, Mark, uh, before we turn our attention to the wine and then everything going on in the world of European football, I just want to take my hat off quite literally for a few reasons, actually, to Man City uh, after their 1-0 victory over Arsenal, which has taken them to 18 wins in a row, I'm starting to think, is the conversation over? Are they the best Premier League side we've seen? I think they probably, they probably could be. When you look at their second 11, is yeah. stronger than most people's starting 11. It's ridiculous. You know, it's funny, you know, because I, I, I just get the feeling that Manchester City two seasons ago, I, I feel it. I feel that two seasons ago, three seasons ago, Manchester City were better than they are now. They played more entertaining football, better football, but they're on an incredible run. So how can you, how could I say that? To help your point, in fairness though, Mark, two years ago, you would assume that Man City would be beating Arsenal 4 or 5 nil. You know, yes. that was a very real possibility. So then to be able to yeah. go out there, still win and do it reasonably well, but a 1-0 victory that in this, certainly after the second half as well, or during the second half, I should say, they, they were, you know, being asked a lot of questions of. So I think, so I think I, you're right. I'm going to help you out here, right? I'm going to say to you that, yes, two years ago, they, should, they would have beaten Man, uh, Arsenal 4-5-0. But Arsenal are better now. Defensively, they're better. So they are better. So therefore, Manchester City have had to alter the way they played a little bit. And I think, I think at the very, very highest level in terms of European football, Manchester City have been found out a little bit at times because... They haven't altered their way they play. And if anything, Guardiola has known that there is a weakness in that regard, that they play a certain way and teams can nullify them. So he's tried to tinker with things too much. And he's actually, he himself, I believe, has been the downfall of Manchester City being more successful in Europe. Last season was a great example of it in the Champions League. Away to Lyon in, in Portugal when they played the mini, mini sort of final rounds. They were poor. I was at that game. They were poor, Manchester City. They, a, they changed their game plan. Leon, Leon just countered them. They were very disciplined and they hit them with sucker punches each time and Man City had no response. Man for man, Manchester City were miles better than Leon. But as a team, they were nowhere near it. So, and a lot of that was down to also Pep Guardiola's team selections and formation. And... I think it'll be interesting now to see how they do. They've obviously got Champions League this week. They're playing Borussia Mönchengladbach, which I don't envisage too many problems for, for Manchester City because Gladbach are not really at the level they were last season, for example. They're losing their manager at the end of the season. That's well known. He's going to be manager of Borussia Dortmund next season, Marco Rose, which is kind of a normal thing that happens in Germany. Same as Upen Meccano leaving Leipzig. Mm-hmm. They've already announced it. Done deal. And that's the same thing that's happened with Marco Rosa, the, the manager of uh, Gladbach. Maybe that's been a little bit unsettling. Won't be long, I promise. Back to Ollie and Mark in just 15 seconds. If you enjoy Two Sharp Reds, though, make sure you search The Gig and Pod wherever you get your podcasts. David Weiner is joined by thousands of games of experience both on and off the field. It's a great listen. G-E-G-E-N-P-O-D, The Gig and Pod. Okay, back to Two Sharp Reds. 
So it's a good opportunity now, mate, to take our halftime drinks because you've wet my whistle European-wise and I'm ready to get stuck into it. But before we do that, let's just remind ourselves of the wine that we're trying today. Of course, at the end of the episode, we will compare it to a player past or present, Mark. I've gone for a German wine from the Blutengarten. Uh, I have to say it with the accent or else it's not really worth doing it. Uh, Nice Pinot Noir. Um, I've sort of started to shift away from my Shiraz's when it it comes to just having a glass. I need it. You know, I I am starting to understand maybe I prefer it when I've got food, you know, but whereas a nice Pinot Noir, I'm sort of, or Malbec, you know, starting to just enjoy that on its own. So, um, yeah, I've got nothing but good good words to say about the Blutengarten. So my my next question to you is, have you started to refrigerate your red wine? No, and this is the question I was going to ask you. So play a bit of question tennis with you if you want. Next Monday, when we record, I've already looked at the weather and it is is warm here, right? Yes. So I'm already a bit like, I'm going to attempt the refrigerated wine with Fanta or whatever you, what do you, your move? What what is it? Lemon Fanta or the? Yeah, it was a lemon flavored Fanta. Yes. Um, Which is really, really nice drink to drink. But why don't you, before you do that, uh, mm-hmm. Because you've got to get the right Fanta. You've got to get the right. Okay. I, I don't know if you have it there. It's certainly a. It's a Spanish looked, thing. But, um, right. Okay. I'm not sure. It's, it's actually Fanta. Well, lemon flavored Fanta. This feels like the most extravagant prank that's taken over. A no, year no, it's do, not. And I'm going to go. Not. What are you doing? Like, no, it's really nice. It actually is very drinkable. When it's really, really hot, it's really nice to drink. And then what? What is there a certain type no, of red any, wine? Just a, not, a, not, a, not an expensive bottle of red wine. Just yeah. a, a standard bottle of red wine. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. um, like a house red. Hey, Mark, 11th of December, 2013. What happened? 11th of December, mm-hmm. 2013. I retired? Something way better. Oh. Mark Vivian Schwarzer became the oldest player to debut in the UEFA Champions League, oh, aged yeah. 41 years and 65 days when you kept a clean sheet in... No, you kept your third clean sheet in three appearances for Chelsea. Uh, you won 1-0. Uh, now, Stam how do Bucharest. I say... Bucharest. Bucharest. Stam Bucharest. Uh, yeah. Which, of course, confirmed Chelsea's progression to the knockout round. As um, top, of the, top of the group. Top of the group. <laughs> I just don't want to miss that out. But then, on the 22nd of April... Uh, you replaced Petr Cech in the first mm-hmm. half of the Champions League semi-final against Atletico Madrid. And of course, this week, Chelsea play Atletico Madrid. Yep. I thought this was a fantastic opportunity to just rewind our clocks a little bit. And I want to know it all. I'm just going to sit back, pour a nice glass of, the, of my Pinot. Tell me all about that game, because that must have been exceptional. What an experience. Yeah, it was. It was, it was bizarre, really, in terms of... It's, um, it's an amazing old stadium. Um, and if you've ever been to Atletico Madrid Stadium, uh, the old one, um, it's right in the middle of, well, kind of in a very busy part of Madrid. There's motorways going different sides of the stadium. And one of the motorways actually went under the stand. No. So the stand, yeah. And then they got the, <laughs> the, the back part of the stand, the legs of the stand, and the motorway went underneath it. It was bizarre. <laughs> it was bizarre. Um, but it was an open, open top kind of stadium. Uh, really cool. The atmosphere was brilliant. Always loved to have played there. And obviously I didn't feel like I was going to play. I was on the bench. Um, then, you know, you do the usual stuff, massive game, Champions League semi-final, really, really tough opponent. 
he had let's not forget Diego Costa was there and he was he was running rampant. Thibaut Courtois was playing for them in goal at the time. Is also a Chelsea player who was on loan there, so there was controversy over whether or not he should be playing or not. Um, they were a side that were dogged. They love the they love that tournament. They they they'd uh, done previously really well in the competition. They'd always been a real real headache for for most teams, and, and they generally they generally nullified teams. You know, they, they they made it very difficult for anyone to play against them. Costa, Philip Louise. So both Diego Costa and Philip Louise. The following season, um, Chelsea actually signed them. That's how good they were uh, for Atletico Madrid. And obviously, we were going there as as kind of a, a side that obviously had a history in the in the Champions League, winning the Champions League uh, not so long beforehand. And Chelsea have always expected to do well, always expected to try and you know go out there and and and, and win every tournament that you're playing, every competition that you're playing. So it was a um, a fixture that I you know I was looking forward to being there, experiencing it. And I remember just coming back out um, after because I was always one of the last ones back out again before the game started because after after the warm up I would you know I'd go inside quickly get ready and I'd making sure that I had my shin pads on everything was ready so that if I ever had to come on I didn't want to be that person that you had to wait 5 minutes to get ready before he came on because I always had a lot of tape and I wanted to make sure my shin pads were on and all that so I was dressed and ready to go I had my tracky bottoms on um there was a slight chill not much but it was it was a slight chill I had tracky bottoms on and a tracky top on and sat down and I was drinking a recovery shake started to drink a recovery shake on the on the on the bench I think it was like 14 minutes, 16 minutes into the game um, and Petter goes down injured. And I, I didn't actually think for a moment that I was coming on because I, I just, previously to that, he'd, he'd, you know, whenever I'd been on the bench that season, he'd go down quite frequently in games <laughs> and, and, and get treatment on, on, the, uh, on the pitch. And I'd be like, ah, I'll be fine. You know, he'd be okay. He'll get up. He'd be fine. And all of a sudden it was like, I think it was John Terry and a few other people, they're waving to the bench going, quickly, come on. And they're like, the, the facial expressions. And then Jose Mourinho turns to me and goes, get ready. So I, yeah, no worries. And he's just going, quick, 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 get ready. And I go, boss, relax. I'm ready. Just took my tracky bottoms off. All I had to do was obviously took my tracksuit top on. All I had to do was put my gloves on. Because I, I, I had my, sh- my jersey on, my strip on. I had my my shin pads in, I was ready to go. And, and then it was kind of like the realization, obviously you're coming on and, and um, he goes to me, just go out there and play your game. I, I, I trust you and I believe in you. Just go out there and, and, and play your game. I went, yeah, no problems. So I trudged out there and it was just one of those nights where you just felt, I don't know. I, I, had, I suppose I had a lot to lose, but I didn't, I felt like I didn't have a lot to lose. I don't know. And I went out there and I think because the age I was at more experienced, I thought, you know what, just go out there. And I know what I can do. I'm going to play at the best of my ability, do whatever I possibly can to help the team get a result here. And if, it, if they do score, it's going to be because it's something that I could do nothing about. Hopefully, as long as you don't make a mistake. And as it turned out, it was one of those games where there was quite a lot of aerial threats. I came out and took quite a lot of crosses, punched a few, a couple of saves, so I, I felt really good about it afterwards because I felt that I, I'd played a part. I got an opportunity to play Champions League semi-final, which, I mean, to play my debut in the, in the, in the, in the last group game, um, albeit the last group game, we'd already qualified, but to win against uh, Stal Bucharest, it was important because we needed to make sure we finished top of the group to be assured that, that finish. 
So that was really nice to do that to to really fulfil an ambition to play at the highest level, play in European, you know, the Champions League. I'd played Europa League and I wanted to have that opportunity or, or really wanted to try and fulfil that ambition to, to play in the Champions League. So I'd done that and then all of a sudden you just think, okay, I've got my one game. Hmm, yeah, one game. <laughs> that, that, that's okay. Yeah, that's pretty cool. But, you know, still only one game. And then the next two you're playing, well, as it turns out, the next two I played in the Champions League semifinals, albeit not the results we wanted, but still, it was it was remarkable and I really enjoyed it. And I think that day, I think a lot of the guys probably, I mean, I think they had respect for me anyway beforehand, but I think they probably had a little bit more for me. In terms of your performance or the way that you were just ready to yeah. go, you were, your, your mentality was... was uh, well, I, think, I don't think my mentality was ever, ever questioned because I'd shown that beforehand. I'd, I'd played in League Cup games, I, you know, training when I had to I get called from one pitch to the other, um, shooting sessions. I, I never, ever... I, I always went there with a smile on my face, the determination to do well, to do my best. And other goalkeepers who felt like, you know, you felt like you're the spare, you're the spare one or you're the one just filling in holes all the time. I never behaved that way. I just was grateful to have that opportunity to be around amazing players and an amazing club. And I think the guys already had gave me that respect for that. But now to say, okay, at the age of 41, that I could still play at a decent level like that and still put in a, a pretty good performance at that very highest level. So you said that you were physically prepared, like you had all your gear yep. on, which is, which is um, I remember one of the earliest episodes of the Two Sharp Reds, you told me about someone who wasn't, and it was a real pet, like, just get ready, have a, yeah. be ready. Um, yeah. But what about mentally, obviously you're listening to what's going on before the game, right? Like, obviously, but do you, because you said that you assume you wouldn't be playing anyway, is there like a percentage of you that is a bit tuned out? Like a little yes. bit? That you, yeah, so yeah, just absolutely. There for the ride? Yeah, so absolutely. then how do you switch on like that? Well, you're paying attention, but you're not fixated and you're not necessarily in the zone. So like when you're playing, it's like you're looking at every single tiny little detail of everything and you're already thinking about the game, your performance, uh, what you need to do to make sure you are in that right frame of mind to perform right at that moment. So when you're not playing, certainly for me, there's always was always that element of, doesn't matter what I do, it's out of my hands. I can't do anything and I'm not going to... Uh, whatever I do on that pitch, whatever I do in pre to match, it's, it's, it's irrelevant almost, you know? And mm. so there is a sense of you are a little bit more relaxed about it. And yes, I know what's going on. I know the set plays. I've watched them. I go through them. I do watch it. It's not like I'm not watching it. I'm also intrigued to see how the opposition was and how we were going to counter them. I was interested in all that. So I did pay attention. So it wasn't like I went out there and gone, okay, huh, who's doing what? Yeah, like, yeah. You, you know what's going on. It's just then I was able to just turn. It, it's almost like turning a switch. And I don't think you can do that necessarily all the time. And I don't think you can do it, particularly when you're younger. Mm. It's something that maybe I was able to do more easily the older I was, the more experienced I was. That the, the, the actual concentration and the focus on those tiny little details wasn't that important at that stage anymore. It certainly didn't hinder my performance, put it that way. And what was it like playing up against a Simeone side? I'm obsessed with him. I think he's just, he's the coolest dude ever. <laughs> um, you just know you're in for a fight. You know you're, you've got 
quality team, really well organized, really hardworking. And they're going, if you're going to beat them, you're going to truly deserve to beat them because they are going to be, they're going to try and win at almost any cost. They don't care how they win as long as they win and they know how to win. They're so good at winning games. They're so good at, particularly over two legs. You know, the, the nil-nil away in Madrid was, for us, was a really good result. All things considered, it was a really good result. And then we thought, right, we're in a really good, strong position now for the return leg. Even though you're thinking, right, we didn't score, it was nil-nil. They score one goal away from home. All of a sudden, you know, like a one-one's not good enough for us, you know. So you know that that element of it is not great. But the bottom line is you haven't lost. You've, you've drawn a game and, and on the face of things, that's actually a really good result. Mm. So what about modern day um, between Chelsea and Atletico? Uh, I say modern day. Don't take offence to that. You know what I mean. I mean this week. I don't know what you mean. <laughs> uh, are, are you insulting uh-huh. me again? No, you know I would never do it. And if I do, it's out of love and by accident. Uh, but uh, it should be a good game this week on Optusport. Looking forward to it. Yeah, no, it will be. So yeah, Atletico had a bit of a slip up uh, on the weekend. It's a bit of, as you, for me, it was a real surprise. They lost at home to Levante. Uh, I know Levante put on a good performance against Madrid um, not so long ago, but Atletico, yeah, I mean they have they have dropped um, a little bit of uh, a couple of you know a couple of points of late. They haven't been in the necessary in the best form. However, it was still a real surprise to me that they lost at home to to Levante. So, is it a good time to play them? I, I don't know. I don't think there's any very good time to play Atletico Madrid. I think at the moment they. They top of the table. They're flying. They've certainly had a very, very good season, um, albeit you know off the back of one bad result. But I don't think Chelsea were at their best on the weekend at Southampton. Um, let's also not forget. I think it's a little over, probably around twelve months ago now, when let, let's go at the same stage of the Champions League came up against Liverpool, and yeah. everybody kind of expected Liverpool to win that game. Atletico were going through a bit of a mini crisis. There were some calls that for uh, Simeone to be sacked and they they knocked Liverpool out. So, you know, they are more than capable of, uh, of getting through against Chelsea. Absolutely. So then talking about teams that have been surprisingly disappointing in their domestic competition, your guys, Bayern Munich, not overall disappointing, but lost on the weekend to Eintracht Frankfurt. They considered two goals in the first half, got one back, ended 2-1. Um, but a little bit of a, a, supply, a surprise, you'd say, for your boys as they yes. take on Lazio this week. I, I mean, it's a surprise in terms of... I, I, I think the surprise was the, the early start of the game, the way they started. I thought they were, they were really, really poor. They looked very, very lacklustre, switched off. I mean, Leroy Sané, if you see the first goal, he was there in body, but he wasn't there in mind. And it was a poor, really poor goal to concede. Uh, very sloppy from Bayern, normally a, a Bayern side that's really well organized and really tough. Everybody works extremely hard. Leroy Sané at that moment certainly didn't. Um, then the second goal uh, was a, I don't know if you've seen it, uh, Amin Yunus scored a fantastic goal for Eintracht Frankfurt. And the only thing I'd say is there's one little bit of criticism to Manuel Neuer is that he thought it was going wide and he pulls his hand away from it, even though it goes yeah. bang, it literally in the top corner of the goal, um, and uh, but he takes his arm around, away from it. And actually, I think he may have even saved it if he threw himself at, at it. But he actually just thinks it's going wide and it goes top bins. It was a fantastic finish, and it was on an angle. 
Uh, what, what is definitely worth noting for Bayern, and I think it's a big reason why since the, the Club World Cup, they've struggled a little bit, is the fact that Mr. Thomas Miller, who's been out with COVID, uh, he has posted to say that he's, that he's, that he's healthy again, um, but they're saying that he, that he won't be back until the earliest, about the 6th of March. So they've really, really missed him. He's been, a, he's been a massive player for them over these last 12 months or so, big reason why they've been so successful. Um, and uh, I think their last couple of performances have shown they've lacked that extra bit of creativity um, that, that he possesses. And also his ability to get on the end of things. You're not only relying always on, on Robert Lewandowski, but Thomas Miller's also played his part. Um, so he, he's a big miss. Reven, uh, Lewandowski, I think you pronounce Le- that. Lewandowski. remember? Lewandowski, yeah. Right. Okay. Hey, Mark, since the Champions, uh, Champions League came back last week, it was a really healthy reminder of um, we don't, as football fans, need to be particularly worried about the changing of the guard in terms of the highest level, in terms of our idols going forward, um, because there were some serious performances in Europa League as well. We'll get to uh, Bruno Fernandes and, um, you know, Manchester United, but the two names in particular, Mbappe and Haaland, was super exciting and loved the fact that they played on two different nights. So, of course, Mbappe shined in, on the, the Tuesday night and then Mbappe, and then Haaland said, all right then, I better, I get, better get my skates on the, the next night. And it was just a really great reminder of, of, of how good some of the, you know, the talent is out there. Football's in a good spot, is what I'm saying. Oh, well, yeah. No, football is in a good spot, but there is going to be a change in the guard. It Correct. has been. Yeah. It's, already, it's already been in the making. The yeah. change in the guard has always been there, threatened for a number of years. The fact is that Messi, Ronaldo have kind of always popped up still again and, and, and played their part. And yes, I know last season Barcelona got smashed by Bayern by, by Munich, and deservedly so. But they were there or thereabouts. Uh, Juve, to a degree as well, domestically unbeatable, but that's all going to change. And also, when you look at the Champions League, obviously, PSG beating Barcelona away 4-1, beating them convincingly. Mbappe stole the show. Messi tried, but doesn't have the support. And also, he himself is nowhere near the level he was previously. And then you look at, you look at Juve. Juve also, uh, a tired, old self. Mm. So the levels dropped. They haven't changed enough. And the changes they've made haven't quite been good enough. And Ronaldo, certainly without the service, kind of the impact that, that he had has in the past and, 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 and win games single-handedly doesn't kind of happen these days for Ronaldo. It's more about the, the service. Give it to him in the right spots, he'll get on the end of it. He'll score. But again, they lost away to Porto, which was a surprise. I mean, there's a lot of question marks about whether they should have lost. There was a penalty decision that went against them. However, the change of guard is happening. And this is, I think, this season is more evident than any other. Um, that that's happening domestically for both those players, Ronaldo and Messi, but also when you talk about European football. So away from Champions League, and just to sum up, uh, the week that was and, and, and going into uh, this week's European football in the um, Europa League, Man United took on Real Sociedad. They won 4-0, so they got a very nice aggregate going into their second leg. Bruno Fernandes was exceptional, so it was great entertainment. But what I want to know uh, from you going into this Next leg for Manchester United. Uh, the age-old question, certainly one that I've not ever been able to quite understand myself, is it's a key, I think, demonstration of why Champions League teams shouldn't be able to drop back into Europa League. I mean, that game was, it was clear that Man United were a far superior team. Well, the interesting thing is you say that, right? So you, you, we seem like the only people, or the fans seem like the only people to a large degree that disagree with that 
process because UEFA now have also creating a conference league. Mm -hmm. So there's going to be three European competitions and you win the conference league, you go up to the UEFA, the Europa league for the next season. And the teams that, um, that drop from Europa can then fall into the conference. So it's a knock on effect as with the champions league teams dropping down. So it's, it's an interesting setup. Um, I'm not in total agreement with it either. However, let's be honest though. It certainly makes it more interesting then, doesn't it? When you have the does likes it? of it. I think it makes it more I, I think it does because the big, big teams are playing in the Champions League. They're the big teams, right? The big mm-hmm. names, the traditionally big clubs, the, they're the ones that also make it more exciting, I believe, when it comes down to that level. When it drops down to the Europa League, the fact that you've got Manchester United dropping down into it, it makes the Europa League even that much better. So if you're a team that qualify the Europa, like like an Arsenal, if you then win the Europa League as Arsenal, I think it gives you more credibility. The fact that Manchester United and Ajax, as an example, the ones that some of the two of the teams that have dropped down, if you're able to still navigate through that competition with the likes of those sort of teams in it, the better teams, the bigger name teams, I think that gives you more credibility. Full time here on the two shot reds, Mark. That and no red line. cards. No red cards. There was a few warnings in there. So I had to pull you aside a few times. Certainly technologically speaking, we had to uh, pull away a few times. A few warning shouts, but I think we got away with it in the end. That's what the beauty of editing is all about. Yeah, that's right. We can do that. We can stop and start. We do have some minor little blips along the way. And then you go and edit the thing and it's wonderful when it gets actually It's good, isn't it? It's a a ripping podcast, isn't it? Really? No doubt about it at all. I I just hope hope they take part of it with you wearing your Arsenal... um, what is it? Well, bucket hat. Bucket yeah. hat. <laughs> Did you forget the word hat? Or, or no, bucket? I, I, bucket. Yeah, I, call, okay. I couldn't remember anymore what they call it. Don't swear at me, please. Yeah. Oh, the, the Blutengarten German Pinot Noir is starting to hit home. Hey, pretty <laughs> impressed with it. Uh, super cheap bottle. Uh, you can pick it up from your local Aldi for the, the, the slender price of five ninety nine. So very much wow. within your wheelhouse, uh, Mark. Yes. Uh, for more than one reason, but no, I was very happy with it. Uh, overall, your thoughts on your your Adelaide Red? Um, where was it from again? It's the it's a, a Hardy's Hardy's so Hardy's Hardy's Bankside. So you've already um, sort of been, you know, you've come to terms with the fact it's a little stronger, a little heavier than yeah. Than but this you would is normally, go but for. this is a softer version of a Shiraz, so it's not a full on right. Shiraz. It's not as hearty and, and, and meaty as, as one would normally have from a Shiraz. So I, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of liking it. I'm, I'm able to get my chops around it and I'm enjoying it. Well, well you're quite literally getting your pork yes. chops around it as oh, well. Absolutely. Yeah. Straight down, okay. straight down, necking it straight down. Straight down the torrents. Thanks yes. for coming. And I, uh, can so- drink mine at, I can drink mine at room temperature, unlike yourself. Ooh, that's a weird flex. What? Because it doesn't really make any sense because I've got better weather than you. So. Yeah, I know. But I was just trying to get one up on you. I think you've got a few up on me. Don't worry, Mike. Yeah. I think over the years. Over the years? Well, yeah. When did we meet? 20, 2018? We go. did, yes. Yeah. yeah. Our time has flown by. Yeah. We've, yeah, we've almost been mates longer than Jose at Tottenham. Uh, that wasn't too long ago. Yeah. Um, well, we, wow, we, we have been mates longer than Jose has been at Tottenham. Yeah, that's what I mean. But like yeah. we've discussed that in today's episode. That's been since Thomas Tuchel at uh, Chelsea. Yeah, longer than him, yeah. <laughs> I mean, this could go Sam on. Sam Allardyce at West Brom. <laughs> Realistically, uh, yeah, but good to... Longer than Frank was in charge at Chelsea. Yeah, 
Hey, that's beautiful. That's uh, yeah, it's good to note these things. So, uh, look, uh, do you want to flip a coin, or how should we do this? Do you want to go first, or do you want me to go first? No, I want you to go first because I want to okay. know what you're going to compare your German wine with. Pinot so, we've got a, a nice medium-bodied red um, uh, made from uh, uh, Pinot Noir grapes from the what region? Pfalz. Pfalz. Pfalz region with nice, rich fruit berry flavours, uh, accompanied by a nice, soft and velvety texture and a very elegant and dry finish. Uh, I'll ask one question before I get onto it: a dry finish. What would that mean? Do you think, in football context, a dry finish? Simple. Yeah, I guess. straightforward. A Maybe just a standard number nine in the right position. It's almost like a tap-in. Yeah, yeah, I like that. So medium body is the first one. Not too tall, not too short. Uh, yeah. Nice and strong, but but just sort of somewhere in the middle there. Rich flavours. Uh, this man uh, has definitely quite wealthy. I'm sure anyone uh, in top flight of football pretty much is. Uh, but uh, recently arrived at a club for a pretty hefty fee. So I, I'm, I wouldn't worry about him, put it that way. Uh, he's German, uh, of course. I think that this one makes sense. Um, but he's accompanied by a man who is very elegant uh, and has a nice velvety finish. But him as a person is very elegant. But the key is there... It's accompanied. So the flavours of this wide are accompanied with a velvety texture and elegant finish. So with that, I'm going to go with, uh, he's, he's a friend of the Germans, but he needs, he needs to do some work uh, in the Premier League. I'm going to go with Timo Werner. He's medium bodied, very wealthy, German, and he's accompanied by Olivier Giroud, who is very elegant, and he has a nice <laughs> velvet finish. Okay then, you've really um, you've really been scraping the barrel, haven't you? Do you, I actually think that was one of my better ones? Do you really? Isn't it funny well, though how I, your yeah. perception is? Oh, because yeah, I, I thought think... I've got all categories. I've got physically, he's his body, he's a rich, rich, rich flavour. But in this, I've changed that. You know, I've had a sideways look to his bank account. You know, the wines from Germany, so is he, and the fact that the flavours are accompanied um, by other flavours. I think it's nice to be able to compare that with, with who he's accompanied by. So it's not just about the wine. It's what, who he's accompanied with and what accompanies the wine. So I think it all makes sense, to be honest. That's just me, though. Oh, okay, that's fine. Listen, go with it. It's your choice. Yeah, you can I'll make it whatever choice you want. Thank you. Um, so, right, yeah. save the show. Come on, save the end. Mm. Yeah, I, I'm, my one, my one's, it's pretty straightforward, really. So, obviously, it's an Australian wine, Hardy's, Bankside, but I'm not going to pick an Australian player because that's just too predictable, really, let's be mm. honest. Uh, but what I do like about it, it's um, the fact that Bankside is the first homestead purchased by Thomas Hardy, obviously the makers of this wine. It's called a Bankside. So, uh, it's where the story began, and this range of wines is created as a tribute to this very special place. So this, this person is a very, very special guy, actually. He's a bit of a legend in his, in his country. And I'm, I happened to play with him at Fulham for a number of years. He is a really nice guy. Lovely, lovely guy. Um, some would say he's maybe a little bit soft at times. And I'll tell you a story that refer, why I say he's a little bit soft uh, okay. once, I, once I reveal who I'm talking about and finish my description of this wine. He certainly had, I mean, this has a hint of spice on in the finish, on the finish. So when I think of a hint, hint of spice, something, you know, a little bit extraordinary, a little bit creative, a little bit special um, at times, this guy certainly 
very rarely finished scored goals that were simple tap-ins. Normally it was something special, a bit spicy the way he would finish, the way he'd take someone okay. on. He'd do something, you know, acrobatically. Um, and he scored one particular goal against Manchester United at home. And it was an acrobatically kind of over half an overhead kind of kick ball popped up in the six yard or a bit further out the six yard box. Really nice guy. A lot of fun to be around. Played for Hungary. And um, he's a, a guy that certainly could find the back of the net. Not all the time, but when he did, generally it was something special. Uh, and it was um, a good friend of mine, a guy called Zoltan Gira. Okay. See, I didn't see that coming. I thought you were going to go no. with Clint Dempsey, special to his country, that kind of thing. Yeah. So, no, Zoltan, Zoltan's even arguably even more special to his country in terms of footballing legend. Uh, he, come back from a, he came up from a really rough upbringing. He was uh, on right. the street a lot, um, really poorly disciplined, really, really into trouble a lot. Um, and uh, he managed to find his way out of trouble in the end uh, with, a, with a couple of people helping him along the way. And he turned out to be a, a very gifted footballer. And the story I wanted to tell you was he was, when we were at, when we were at Fulham, he came in one time after preseason, he was laughing. He was telling, he goes, oh, you will not believe what happened to me in holidays. And we're like, come on, tell us. And, and he's always like, and he's broken English. He spoke English pretty well, actually, I have to say, but he, you know, he's got this thick Hungarian accent. And he was talking about, he was away somewhere. I think it was in the South of France. I'm not sure. And uh, he said he was on a boat and someone, someone came up to the boat and said to him, oh, well, you know, you're on this really nice boat. Um, you, know, who, you know, what do you do for a living? You must, you know, you must, what do you do for a living to be able to afford this? He goes, oh, you know, I play, I play football. And he looked at him and looked him up and down and went, you play football. You certainly don't look like you're a footballer. <laughs> because of his body and that we're in the gym at the time and he's he was just this he was like this he was like a thin rake and he was a bit gangly and the way he ran a little bit the way he stood there you just never guessed that he was a footballer if you didn't know where he was and uh we absolutely killed ourselves laughing and he's absolutely laughing he's at off as well and he's like can you believe it he didn't think i was a footballer look at me you know and then he started to flex his muscles and all that sort of stuff and it was terrible uh, well, uh, that's that's about the end of the episode, I, I would have thought now, Mark. Um, enjoyable, um, as always. Really, really did like that. Right, enjoy the week, Mark. Uh, and until then, a big cheers to you. Thanks, mate, and to you. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.